0: In this podcast recap, we're going to go over the main things we discussed with Dr. Peter Lilback of Westminster Theological Seminary on the life and theology of John Calvin. The first thing that we talked about was how John Calvin wanted his legacy to be about the Eucharist, his theology of the Eucharist. The neo-Calvinist movement of the late 2000s emphasized John Calvin's strong doctrines of predestination, election, and God's sovereignty. And Calvin certainly taught these doctrines. But the famous reformer saw his legacy elsewhere. He believed his lasting contribution to the Reformation rested with his doctrine of the Eucharist. Calvin taught that the scriptures describe a real participation in Christ by believers in the Lord's Supper, in which faith comprehends the union between the sign, which is the bread and the wine, and the thing signified, what it points to, the body and blood of Christ. On the one hand, this virtualist or spiritual perspective denied the bare memorial perspective held by the followers of Zwingli and much of the uh, American evangelical vision of the Lord's Supper today. But on the other hand, Calvin denied that the substance of the bread and the wine transform into the substance of the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ as taught by the Roman Catholic Church. That's a view called transubstantiation. The substances transform. Dr. Lillebeck describes Calvin's perspective with an analogy, that the spiritual presence perspective is kind of like how the sun's rays touch us, but we never touch the sun. And in the Lord's Supper, the bright rays of God's grace touch us as if on a cloudless day. We do not touch Christ, but rather he touches us by the Spirit in a real way. And his deep convictions about the Eucharist shaped the way that he understood the relationship between the church and the state. And that's the second main thing that we talked about, Calvin's theology of the relationship between the church and the state. Calvin's high view of the Eucharist led him to take a strong stance against civil magistrates who attempted to partake of the supper in an unworthy manner. He rejected the state's authority over the Eucharist and advocated for a Republican form of government in which the church and the state cooperated. His political philosophy influenced the Puritans with their emphasis on the freedom of conscience— and it also emphasized the Anabaptists who called for religious liberty in the United States. And Calvin's own story led him to champion an early form of religious liberty as he found himself branded a heretic and forced on many occasions to flee from Roman Catholic persecution. And Dr. Lilbeck talked a little bit about how Calvin's detractors often point to his involvement in the burning of the heretic Servetus as evidence of the reformer's hypocrisy. How can Calvin espouse religious freedom or have this mentality of religious freedom when he himself seems to be going against it with his actions? And Dr. Lillebeck helped clarify what was going on. Servetus espoused anti-Trinitarian theology, which branded him a heretic and a threat to society. And the civil magistrates at the time had a legal right to crush heresy, to punish heresy. And Calvin respected the state's right to execute justice, although he did plead for a lenient death for Servetus. So Calvin was sort of a product of his times. Maybe there's a bit of inconsistency there, but Calvin had this sense in which you guys have the legal right, and because that's your sphere, your domain you guys are able to execute justice as you see fit but please be lenient and again dr Lilbeck reminds us to understand reformers in their context and that the full flowering of calvin's concept of religious liberty only bloomed at the dawn of the american founding in some Calvin advocated for a cooperative yet distinguished relationship between church and state. The state receives authority from God over external affairs of society, but not over the internal affairs of the conscience. And that's the seed form of what would later blossom into what we know as religious freedom, religious liberty or liberty of conscience. Now, Calvin not only had thoughts on politics and thoughts on the Eucharist, but Calvin was a very evangelistic preacher. He had a deep sense of the call for the preacher to spread the gospel to those who don't know Christ. Calvin belonged to the second generation of reformers who sought to build on the insights of the prior generation by consolidating a systematic understanding of the reformed faith. And he focused in particular on the doctrine of union with Christ. Calvin believed alongside the reformers that when a believer unites himself to Christ by faith, he receives all of the benefits of salvation. If you have Jesus, you have everything. The benefits of salvation remain the same in substance between the old and new covenants, even though the outward administration differs in form. And so there's the, the same saving power in the old covenant in Israel and the new covenant in the church, but the external form is different. And that's classic in Reformed covenant theology. And this conviction led Calvin to evangelize the lost because he wants them to know this Jesus that brings them eternal blessing. He wants them to know the Jesus who gives them all the blessings of God by his grace to sinners. People criticize Calvinists today for lacking evangelistic fervor because of their high view of God's sovereignty, but Calvin lived his life with his zeal for reaching the lost. Because for Calvin, God's sovereignty motivated evangelism because it took the pressure off the preacher to convert souls. And this perspective influenced his preaching ministry as he sought to bring biblical teaching to the masses through his institutes of the Christian religion. John Calvin saw himself first and foremost as a preacher. And his institute served as a supplement to his pulpit ministry. His convictions about the centrality of preaching led him to create a monthly meeting with other local pastors to hone their rhetorical and exegetical skills as well as share insights on the text. So there was an ecumenical side of Calvin. He really cared about preachers and the work of preaching and the power of a sermon to change people's hearts. As with many historical figures, the real story is much more complex and nuanced than popular articulations. Calvin lived in a time of rapid and extraordinary change and sought to bring stability to a burgeoning movement of reform. And so his emphasis on the Eucharist, church-state cooperation, union with Christ, and the evangelistic power of preaching fueled his life and ministry. And I think we can learn a lot from Calvin's dedication to detailed exegesis of the scriptures, to faithful application of the word of God to all of life, to all spheres of life. We can also appreciate the ways in which he paved the way for future generations to develop a philosophy of conscience and religious liberty, especially as we grapple with an increasingly pluralistic age. So Calvin's legacy extends far beyond the five points of Calvinism. It extends to the whole of life as the theater of God's glory. And I think that's the enduring legacy of Calvin. He was so much more than what we often think about him as. And so I encourage you, if you get a chance, to read the Institutes of the Christian Religion or read his smaller book, A Little Book on the Christian Life, to get a view of Calvin as a pastor, as a theologian, as an evangelist, and as somebody who was devoted to shepherding the people of God and honoring the glorious name of of Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at That'll Preach Podcast and visit our website at thatllpreach.io. If you want to support the work that we do as well as access bonus content, please consider partnering with us on Patreon. The link will be in the show notes.